This is the Resonance AI Podcast, conversations about the future of media. For our 16th episode, we spoke with Adam Shapiro. He's a news veteran and the founder and CEO of Opt-In Media. And to begin, we asked Adam what he sees as the biggest challenges for news media in 2021. The biggest competitor every media outlet has is just attention. How do you get somebody to actually care to make sure they read you? And the weakness has been glaringly apparent because it's really hard for any one entity to separate themselves from everybody else. Like, how do you become essential and not just another headline on somebody's Facebook feed? Breaking news and stuff like that, those are table stakes at this point. So how do you stand out? Which kind of leads to the strength, which is the ability to deliver essential information where you can guide an audience, particularly in categories like health and safety information. In my own experience, the startup I was at prior to the one I'm now was all about allowing news readers to opt in for updates on specific stories, not general topics, but specific stories. One of our biggest partners was ABC News in Australia, and our button was on their pages during those massive brush fires about a year and a half ago. What we found was that when there were relevant follow-up stories for that, the click-through rate on the stories we sent out was 73%. You know, the usual wow. publisher rate is like three, <laughs> but it was 73%. And, and I don't think it was a magic trick. It was because somebody said, I really want to follow this thing that is threatening my family or people I know or something like this. I need to know what's, what's current and what's new. But then even beyond that, when the fires were out and stories like stories about insurance claims or measures being taken by the government, like legitimate follow-ups to this, those still drove like a 71% click-through rate. It was essential information that dealt with health and safety and somebody's personal well-being. So news always has that opportunity to be essential. There are times like with COVID, those things fall into your lap, but Other times, and this is the hard part, it requires a lot of thinking about what the audience wants and creating better ways to be essential to them. If you can do that, then you break through. For local media, news in particular, to to start to build something that isn't reliant on others, meaning Facebook or, you know, hoping somebody left the TV on CBS last night, so they're watching (laughs) CBS Morning News this morning you have to really innovate. And some of that innovation, it is time consuming. It is laborious, but some of it isn't. There are a number of technologies out there that can be used and really aren't a heavy lift to implement. And they should look for those, you know, look for opportunities to innovate that don't take up too much of your resources. What are some of those? People can detect algorithms and robots pretty easily. And you can't have your evening anchor emailing every viewer individually. I mean, it's just not reality. But one way you can personalize is just by getting your audience involved. You can't satisfy those folks with your broad coverage of things, but maybe to look at what large pockets of people care about and then create newsletters for them. And I'm, I don't mean like create a you know entertainment newsletter because people don't like entertainment. They like new mu- music releases, they like new movie releases, they like celebrity you know, gossip, whatever. Or, or with something like local politics, not every issue matters to every person, but like I see now, every market could do a once a week newsletter about COVID in schools in your community. 
that it might be just something that has a fresh perspective on it from, you know, an education reporter or a health reporter or whatever it is at the top, and then a collection of links about what's been happening in the local districts. Because those stories are in every newscast or in every newspaper. But then after that, you know, it's also delivering more to go the extra mile and have that same reporter or anchor or whatever was doing the newsletter to do a Zoom town hall meeting one night. Those are just ways to kind of deepen the connection between that person in your audience and the station. And then beyond that, like I, I mentioned, you know, other technologies, look at something like, you know, many have heard of, and I rave about subtext. It's a tool that allows reporters to directly engage with readers on key topics through text messaging. That's the way a lot of people like to engage. I, I myself do. And, you know, some people use it for sports coverage, like where the beat reporter for, you know, the major college football team or something will, you know, have a text give and take with different readers and be able to answer some of the more broad questions over text. Others have leveraged it in a huge way for, for their COVID coverage. The Newark Star-Ledger used it here in New Jersey about COVID, where it would be able to continually feed me information about New Jersey. Doing stuff like this is, it's just such a key way to deepen the connection with the people in the audience. And that's especially important for subscription-based publishers because then they can highlight why they're different, why they are separate from everybody else in your Facebook feed. And most importantly, that shows why they're worth paying for because ultimately that's, that's the goal. You have pointed to QR codes being a, a tool for TV news. I think that there's probably still a brewing controversy over whether QR codes are the wave of the future or a weird anomaly that somehow refuses to die. You are clearly in the, in the former camp. I, I consulted for Microsoft years ago on their Microsoft tag. It was their proprietary version of a QR code. And so I, I have really strong opinions about why it works in some cases and does well for marketers and why it doesn't. Because you're right, there's a very big gap in people who think it's a waste of time and, and ugly, and others who think that it's a, a great entree into, into new engagement. The reality is, if you put something that is truly compelling behind a QR code that is mobile-friendly, which I guess now everything is mobile-friendly, but if the call to action is good and valuable, people will scan it and be glad they did. If it's scan this, you know, and watch our commercial. Nobody wants to do that. I, you know, I, that's why I have a DVR. But if you can make the scanner's life better, because it's a pain in the neck. I mean, you got to either download an app or open up the camera and walk up to the TV or hold it up in the newspaper and scan something. And, you know, it's a pain in the neck. But if you can make their life better, they'll do it. You know, so in newspapers, I absolutely think they should be used as a way to connect to that writer, that columnist, maybe. Uh, maybe connect to their Twitter feed or to their subtext, <laughs> if you go that <laughs> far. Uh, on TV, if you have a sports anchor and, you know, they've got three minutes and that window shrinks every year, but they've got three minutes and they put up a QR code that says, you know, John Smith also, he filled out his brackets and is going to win March Madness if you scan here. And you can watch a video that he produced that he might put on YouTube that's useful. Everybody's not going to scan it, but if 10% of the people scan it, that's, that's a gold mine. And then if the sales team were to actually align with, let's say they connected with the local Buffalo Wild Wings and set up a Super Bowl watch party, which Buffalo Wild Wings paid to host, 
and then you could scan the QR code and get a, a you know a VIP invite to the sports anchor hosting that that watch party. Then it becomes real revenue. Generally speaking, QR can work, but don't think less of it if you make it a lousy experience. If the scanner's life is going to get better, it'll work. So you had mentioned some things about any sort of local media and branded content. And I'm curious about that because as someone who has probably gone through a few iterations of maybe uncomfortable ways that journalism and advertising have sort of been awkwardly connected, I'm kind of curious what you think the pros and cons are. No, I, I, I think the opportunity is enormous. And I say that because um, it's an opportunity to work directly with good advertisers, folks with budget. And it's an opportunity to also control what the product is. Because ultimately, I understand the default that so many publishers use, like Tabulo or Outbrain or something, and you'll find it all over. And I get it. It's, it's a lot of money. <laughs> it does diminish the quality of the page because you just read that story about a tragedy somewhere nearby. And then underneath it, there are all these windows of stories you might be interested in that have to do with, these are what the girls from high school looked like 20 years later, or one, one pill that doctors don't want you to know about. That's exactly right. And look, every publisher knows that it's, it's not like I'm cracking the Da Vinci code by saying that out loud, it, but it's, it's real cash. It's significant money because people click that story. They're much more likely to click a story about the five hottest wives of NFL players than they are about the uh, school budget vote. Um, so like it drives revenue, I get it. But with branded content, the publisher can control what the output is. And if it's interesting and not just a way to hawk a product, the people will read it. So if they do, they'll find it useful and the brand can deliver good information about the topic and it should drive customers down the sales funnel. That's for the advertiser. And so for the publisher, if they can create something of value, I mean, health segments on TV news have been sponsored by, you know, a local hospital or something forever, and they don't have editorial ownership of, you know, you're not allowed to say this or you are allowed to say that, but they want to be associated with quality content about health. You have the same opportunity to do that to Home Depot if you're going to do a five-part series about uh, renovating your kitchen. The renovating of the kitchen doesn't say, and I strongly recommend this particular hammer, which I bought at Home Depot. <laughs> but, you know, the more you get people at the end of it to say, you know what, it is time to run. I've been talking about renovating my kitchen for 10 years. If they do it, there's a really good chance they're going to Home Depot. Honestly, that's what my current initiative is all about with Optin Media. It's taking branded content and email marketing and creating lead generation out of it and then lead nurturing. So you continue to be able to send new relevant information to people about topics they care about. Because if a marketer can continually deliver relevant content to customers, that's gold. And look, branded content was a $63 billion industry last year in a pandemic. Wow. There's money to be had for local media that knows to do it right. Are there any other, if not even necessarily innovations in media, any sort of trends that you think are coming up that maybe not everyone is seeing coming? I think there's a realization that those who have been overly dependent on programmatic advertising and just, you know, 
digital revenue from ads that were generated from third-party cookies, which are creepily know that that I once clicked on a story about the Bahamas, so I keep getting ads about you know Atlantis. <laughs> um, you know, we all experience that. Those rules are getting tighter and tighter. Privacy is it's important and it's mattering more within all of the major distributors of content, it's going to get harder to just generally serve ads to people that aren't relevant. So if that's the case, then it's going to be essential for media companies and for advertisers, for marketers to better have a direct one-to-one connection with their audience, with customers, with potential customers, with customers who've kind of faded their interest the more you can speak to them about what they care about, the more you're going to have opportunity because there are going to be many folks who are just going to kind of wilt away. And you don't want to be just dependent on, well, I know I can get the right person if I pay a tremendous premium to advertise on Facebook. Um, that's not the answer. Look, it's, it's what I'm trying to build with opt-in media. And uh, it's, it's all about creating a direct relationship of value, of making it so that if you can deliver something the person wants that they will essentially reward you for it. And that's, that's the goal here. If anyone wants to get a hold of you, what would be the easiest way? No matter what I'm doing, uh, I'm always there on LinkedIn, Adam J. Shapiro, I guess. Um, and then beyond that, my email address with opt-in is a Shapiro, A-S-H-A-P-I-R-O at opt-in.media. And I'd love to hear from you. I, even if you, you know, just kind of want to talk media, I, uh, this is, I enjoy this stuff. The Resonance AI podcast is produced by Random Inkara and Shane Mailing. It's hosted and edited by Shane Mailing, and our music is by Damian Johnston. To learn more, go to resonanceai.com.